City, City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. limits. You're listening to 3CR City Limits. The time is 9.03 AM. How's it going? We've got Kev, we've got Emma, we've got me, Corey. Good morning. Yeah, it's going it's good. Going. It's going. It's going. It's going. There's three of us, and here we are. City limits is the fourth Wednesday, and and Emma, we made a blue yesterday. By the way, we Did talked we? about the. We, well, we said that we're back to normal next week. It's first Wednesday. It's transport, but I was reminded later that it's actually the thirtieth. It's a fifth Wednesday next week. Oh, so we, true. So yes, so we may have to. Uh, anyway, we'll work something out. But I think there are issues like maybe graffiti um, as an art. Yeah, or, uh, I would love to talk gardens, about um, community yeah. gardens or public all that. So art there's a chance next. Week we can do some of that stuff, but yeah. today, um, today being a fourth Wednesday, and we are going to talk to one of our periodical regulars, um, Helen Vandenberg, about the issues out there in the well, sort of northwest, I guess you'd call it. Where she's at Nidri, but she's been involved in so many issues in that part of the world, including, of course, as long term listeners will know, the the toxic waste up at Tata Marine, and um, we're going to do a catch up on that. There is a there is a very small light at the end of the tunnel, I think, out there, which is not so bad because the company, as we know, and we'll talk about it later, but the company has been dragging out um, rehabilitation of the old toxic waste site, and, um, and you know, just obviously for the obvious reasons, they don't want to spend money on it. Mm. Um, so there we are. Um, anything people want to raise? Oh, look, I better pour the tea first, yes. I suppose. And I was I was told last week, I had lunch with people, and one bloke said he'd listened to the show, and I talked over the pouring, and he couldn't hear it properly. So oh dear. we're just going to shut up for a minute. Okay. Yeah. That's one cup. Only two, because I think people know Corey eschews our tea. Mm-hmm. You're too good for it. <laughs> There we are, but Emma has it. There you are, thank you. Radio. I look forward to it. Yes, yeah, good. <laughs> there we are. That's the pouring of the tea. The, the ritual is over. Um, one thing I wanted to raise, I, I was fascinated by the fact that while in Cuba, and he's gone back now, and we won't. I don't think we'll talk about the events in Belgium because they're just too horrific. And what can we say other than the news is saying at this stage? Other than um, there are reasons, I guess, why. Some people are upset about the way the West treats them since since the Crusades, really, and uh, the react. That sort of that nonetheless, that sort of terrorism is uh, doesn't help at all. But nonetheless, um, there is anyway. We won't go into it. Um, but Obama in Cuba lectured the Cubans on having political prisoners, and I thought to myself, now I'm not going to, I'm not if they have, I'm not going to justify that. But I thought to myself. Um, uh, no, I did have a real memory lapse. Can anyone here remind me, where is Guantanamo Bay? There you go. It's on Cuban soil. Mm. Oh, right, right. And, and So any, they're holding American political prisoners. Any mm. political... No, they, they can't be political prisoners there, can they? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, he also went no. over and, you know, said all this... Like, he was going to... He went over with a guy who owns a chain of restaurants and was like, mm. I'm going to introduce restaurants to Cuba. Yeah, it's yeah. like... I'm pretty sure they have restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure they know how to cook food in Cuba. They've been doing really fine without the US for a long time. And then they're all talking about, 
Like he went over with a whole bunch of CEOs and they're going to introduce free market capitalism. Oh. And I just thought, you know, relations must already be a bit tender. You know, don't don't go in and just be like, you know, an imperialist sort of, uh, let's go right back to just before the revolution that's where right. Cuba was yes. the Americans' playground. I mean, Indeed. That's, that's the sort of impression I got mm. anyway. There's a, in, the, in Guys and Dolls, the play in the film, um, which um, it, there's a scene in that where Sky Masters and the gambler who's uh, chasing the young Salvation Army woman, and it's Marlon Brando and Gene Simmons in the film, he takes he takes her to Havana for the night. Um, mm. And they have a rollicking night there, and, of course, she gets drunk. And if anyone knows the show, there's a song called If I Were a Bell, which he sings as she had a few drinks, etc. But, uh, yes, they, Havana at that stage was a real playground. Yeah. Uh, of, you know, and, 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 of course, corruption and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and they're talking, I mean, they're, you know, they're literally talking about taking, you know, taking it back to free market capitalism and unwinding, you know, the reforms and all that since the revolution. I mean, why would you go over there and say that? Um, because you're a non, you're, because you're a capitalist and you think yeah. in capitalist terms. So, in fact, on this morning's news, he made the direct comment that they need to change their economy and uh, mm. he's, he's happy to help them, which is but the Cubans are thrilled at that. I mean, I, I hope they're not going to go from the Cuban healthcare system, one of the best in the world, to mm. the American healthcare yeah. system, one of the worst in the world. Yeah. Well, in fact, America, uh, Cuba does train poor Americans who can't get into medical schools in America. Um, mm. And it actually trains them and they go back to America and practice medicine. So, yeah. You know, it, yes, it's amazing. Oh, well, that's it. Anyway, Guantanamo. So you think it's in Cuba, do you? Guantanamo Bay. So. That's what I've heard. Oh, that's my memory lapse. I couldn't think of it. But anyway, I'm glad, glad you pulled me. Yes. Um, now, the other one this week that um, I didn't realise, and it was quite, um, and you may have been aware of this, but last November the bill was passed to stop um, the pro, the anti-abortion lobby, the, the whatever they call themselves, the helpers of God's precious Christian infants. some sort. Um, helpers of God's precious infants absolutely harassing women going into abortion clinics. And, um, mm. and uh, they had to keep a 150-metre zone, and the minister at the time said, now they'll be safe, etc. But it was November. We're now in, uh, in April, nearly in April, March. Mm. Uh, and... Um, Apparently nothing's happened. They're still there. And, um, and indeed, there was a piece about it in the paper, but also uh, Beth Wilson, and Beth was a uh, former um, health services commissioner and, and very good one in her time, um, wrote a piece this week pointing this out and saying one of the reasons given is that, oh, well, it's Lent and um, it's a <laughs> sensitive time for Christians. But if, if it started in November, it's a long bloody Lent, isn't it? The, you know, the, you're meant to abstain from something in yeah. Lent. That's right. Something that you really enjoy. That's right. So why not abstain from harassing women outside abortion clinics? <laughs> the end of her article. Lent is traditionally a time for making a pledge to give certain things up. Perhaps they could give up harassment. Yeah, exactly. That's, yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but they also say, they, the cops also say um, that, um, where is it? Here we are. Uh, apparently, the the police have to be trained to, uh, to to handle the situation now. She points uh. out they've handled plenty of protests in their time and feels they're pretty good at handling those sort of things. Why don't they uh, use the old pepper spray like well, they do on us? Bang, 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 yes. 
And he, he says, that also, made you one pretty quick. That's what I found. <laughs> yeah, but that, that might harass them. Um, and apparently the police are also awaiting legal advice on what constitutes 150 metres. <laughs> she says, I would have thought the obvious answer was 150 metres. <laughs> anyway. Do they need a tape measure? Uh, um, apparently. <laughs> so that's the latest on that, but it's pretty outrageous, isn't it? They pass the law, and, and clearly, from what reading that, obviously, the police are just going along with the uh, the Christian lot. Yeah. I was, um, when I was at the G20, there was, uh, they, you know, they were harassing various activists, of course. And so these, these police, um, so these police stopped this car with activists in it and, um, wanted to read their license, and then they, they got more and more police coming over and over and over. And someone quipped, "How many police do you need to read a license?" <laughs> <laughs> They're just looking for one who could read. That's right. We're still waiting. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, um, just another one this week. On Friday, it was announced in the in the news in the news uh, core media that uh, the News Corps Australia Chief Peter Tonner has been confirmed as the new head of pay TV operator Foxtel and he replaces this other bloke who's done the company great things and he'll leave at the end, etc. And it comes amid market speculation anyway. But they don't... They sort of It just happens, of course, that News Limited, this bloke's moving from one News Limited job to another because Foxtel, of course, is part of the News Limited empire mm. along with a couple of others, but they own half it. Um, and um, then on a couple of days later on Monday, Australia's most read political commentator, the Herald Sun's <laughs> Andrew Bolt, will return to TV as the host of a nightly political program. From May, Bolt will anchor the Bolt Report Live, a political discussion show on Sky News, which will screen in the prime 7pm slot. Now we're back to Rupert Murdoch again, as I see it. Mm. Um, During the one-hour show, Bolt will steer discussion and offer his perspectives on national affairs. Um, And this bloke, uh, the chief executive, said it's an exciting addition to our 2016 primetime schedule and we're delighted to welcome him, etc. He'll continue his working for The Sun. And and Bolt said, Sky News beats all the networks in its commitment to news and true debate, and I am proud to be joining it. So true debate is his style. And to Mm. add to the true debate, this week it was also announced that, um, that Peter Credlin is going to become... A, uh, a reporter, a, a, a one of the people uh, involved in programs on uh, on the same channel. So they're obviously well. He's right. They're they're really into news and true debate, mm. big time. I thought it was funny that they referred to Andrew Bolt as the most read because he's always referring to everyone else as the most read. Uh, yes, that's right. You that's know, right. the most he's, red he's under the, the bed. He's the most blue, really, isn't he? Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He certainly makes a few. Um, Another one, and this is a bit nasty of me, but I think it's worth mentioning. Last week, the Labor Party put out a new paper. They've done a research paper on social policy and saying that future policies should take social, you know, social uh, implications into account as much as economic, etc., under a Labor government, etc., etc. So Labor's making policy again? Yes, 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 yes. And it was announced. It was announced, and all the glory was taken. And it's called Growing Together. In fact, it's got oh. an underarm and a picture here by Jenny Macklin, the minister. Well, the shadow minister for whatever. And I noticed after all these years in Parliament, is still running again at the next election, by the way. She 
obviously big time on political rotation. But um, Jenny Macklin, uh, her legacy in this area of um, of growth and helping the poor was to reduce single mums, if I recall, to living way below the poverty line, wasn't it, as mm. minister? And wasn't she also um, part of supporting the basics card? Ah, ah, yes, very introduction much. Introduction into Aboriginal so, so. communities. Yes, yes. she mm. was into all that and uh, and and put uh, and reduced uh, single mums to the dole. Mm. Yeah, so she's got a pretty good track record there. Yeah, yeah, pretty yeah, good, eh? Yeah, and I I haven't I couldn't find the Herald Sun here this morning. Um, the one I was going to play up a bit was the fact that they've had a number of stories recently about welfare fraud, cheat debt bomb, welfare scammers refuse <laughs> to pay, etc. And then they this gets the Herald, they, of course the lead letters with everyone coming out about these terrible people bludging on welfare. Given that overnight there's been, or yesterday and this morning on the news, there's been these you know, more stories, I mean, we know about them, of the top X number of companies paying no tax, whatever, mm. et cetera, et cetera. I just wonder how the coverage of welfare cheating would compare with what the coverage was this morning. I haven't seen it, but I'm, and I might be proven wrong, but I'll, I'll lay mm. odds it's tucked away there somewhere and not exactly given the same prominence as welfare cheats. Yeah, you hear all this stuff about welfare cheats. I want to know how you do it. It's actually, right. yeah, become cracked down on it's, it. It's nigh on possible. Yeah. Well, you've been work, trying to work out ways, have you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just don't know how people do it. How do you do it? Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that, that's. Don't, well, Why it, don't it happens. they report I mean, on something useful? If the Herald Sun reports on it, it's happening, okay? All right. And it's killing this country, these people, these <laughs> dreadful people. The only yeah. person I know um, who. No, two people I know who cheated welfare. One of them was really rich and. Transferred all their assets to their wife so that they could get the um, pension. Mm. And the other one was really rich and just didn't declare anything. Mm. And worked cash in hand. Mm. So the two people I know are actually really, really, really rich people. Mm. If everyone in, a, in Australia knew two people who'd cheated, mm. that would make oh, about yeah. 46 million people cheating in Australia, which is twice the population. Ah, oh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. And we yeah. don't have that many rich people no. in Australia. No. <laughs> but we have enough to make us feel miserable. Um, and one, I just want to... Also mentioned in the next two or three minutes before we go to Helen, um, PlayUp, because this one is a, is a really interesting story. PlayUp was a company set up by Nick Greiner, the former Premier of New South Wales, who's now a big business person. Um, <clears throat> and it, uh, it was supposed to be an online, um, online uh, sports management gambling type venue, and they claimed they weren't doing, doing in-running bets, etc., but apparently they were. Uh, and mo- many of the biggest investors in the country invested in Bob up in uh, PlayUp, including um, Malcolm Turnbull and his family mm. and his son. And um, um, oh, someone just made another comment about the red bit, which you picked up anyway. So about mm. Andrew Bolt, um, the um, and, and his son. And uh, anyway. Going back in nineteen in twenty um, thirteen or twenty fourteen, in fact, um, the the Turnbull and Partners shareholding was reduced to zero, but it emerged as an equity and converted to a loan. An agreement was struck for the Turnbull debt to be secured over all play-up assets and a million-dollar loan to be repaid over three years with twelve percent interest. Then the companies hit a brick wall. And for a long period, staff were uh, unpaid, but at the same time, the Turnbull family was being paid out of the 
help from the company, but the workers weren't, so they weren't mm. getting any pay or any conditions, any super or anything. And they were finally made redundant. They're owed thousands of dollars. But in the meantime, Turnbull, and it, he was Minister for, for also for Communications. There was some suggestion there was there for a conflict of interest when he first had the shares anyway. But, mm. but Turnbull's family, and it went to his son eventually, and his son has now sold the debt to some other investment company, but they were being paid while the workers were not getting a cent and not having anything put aside. He says, of course, he kept himself at arm's length, and so he, hmm. how did he know what was going on? Ha, ha, ha. Um, and um, and now, now both the company, the, well, the remnants of play up because it's, it's gone broke, and Turnbull himself is saying, well, the government has to now pay the redundancy and all the entitlements of the workers. Well, he is the government, so... Yeah. Yes, but it's a pretty amazing story, I think, and it has had very little coverage. Um, mm. But it's um, a conflict yeah. of a conflict of a conflict of interest. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's the man who now wants to crush trade unions in this country because mm. they're killing us. Ah, can we go to a song? We can indeed, and then we'll come back and we'll have a yarn to uh, Helen Vanderbilt. Okay, this is uh, Ruby Hunter with Women's Business, and you're listening to, you're listening to 3CR City Limits, and the time is nine nineteen. You're listening to City Limits on 3CI, 55am or 3cr.org.au and that was Ruby Hunter with Women's Business. Right, yeah, but on the line, Helen Vandenberg. Helen, of course, um, as we keep saying, must reflect her years as a long-term activist. But Helen, um, this campaign's been going on for so long. We've talked to you about it for so many years. First about trying to get the toxic waste dump at Tullamarine closed and then when closed since then and over many years since then, trying to get the company to take responsibility to clean it up properly rather than just drag out negotiations and keep throwing up uh, furfies and uh, all sorts of obfuscations. But um, uh, where are we at now? I mean, it's been a long, long... How long is it since they closed the thing? Hello? She's not there. So oh, there she is. Sorry, we... we missed the start of that answer then. Um, just if you start again, thanks, Helen. Sorry. Hi, Kevin, Corey and... Emma? Emma. Emma. Emma, that's right. Emma. Emma. Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking, is it Emma? Or Emma? <laughs> no, it's Emma. Yeah. Sorry about that, Emma. That's okay. Um, no, uh, 2006, the community rose up in outrage because of a plan to extend the dump and extract 20 to 60 million litres of toxic oil, which the company thought they could blend. This time it was owned by Brambles. And uh, they were going to uh, extract the oil very quickly blend it and sell it on. And we blew the whistle saying, <clears throat> you cannot take out oil and reuse it if it's got more than 50 parts per million of heavy metals, uh, of PCBs in it. And that's both an international and national and Victorian law. So what were they going to use it for? They were going to uh, blend it and burn it in industrial um, furnaces. And when oh. it was heated in those fires, it would have uh, given off uh, dioxin everywhere. Mm. Wow. Yeah, well, that's toxic at one part per billion, isn't it, or trillion? Anyhow, um, known carcinogen. Mm -hmm. So anyhow, we said, no, you can't do that. And um, in the end, um, there was a panel hearing. The evidence given against EPA and the company was extraordinarily embarrassing for them. Clearly, the panel weren't impressed with it. Uh, and it was quite clear they were going to write a report saying this is bad. And uh, so the company and the EPA withdrew the proposal. And, of course, we said now get rid of the oil properly and the company needed to build a facility to destroy the oil. Well, this was most unpopular. After all, it's a 39-hectare dump. 
it's been known to be leaking since 2004. The contamination plume had already gone beyond the dump in 2004. In 2007, it was well and truly established. It was uh, in the buffer land, which is a 29-hectare site between the houses and the dump. It was in the long-term car park of Melbourne Airport, still there. And we have been calling since then for the groundwater contamination plume to be fully delineated. And if the groundwater moves between 8 and 32 metres a year, we said, worst-case scenario, it could be a kilometre off. So we wanted bores sunk a kilometre away from it and then work backwards to where you found it was still clean. Mm. That's never been done, of course. They've only ever tested on their own... Uh, buffer land and that had a couple of bores on it it now has 25 bores on it monitoring it even the sentinel bores got contamination so we don't have a sentinel bore anymore and at one meeting the um, EPA appointed auditor um, at Mr Anthony Lane did remark in front of everybody well yeah the plumes contamination plumes probably under the homes already and this, of course, is not good news for the community because with that contamination plume, there is a risk of vinyl chloride gas being given off. Mm. It's also a known carcinogen. Mm. It's odourless, so you would not be able to detect it. And their company reports clearly state that this can go through the soil and into buildings. Wow. So we still don't know <clears throat> to what extent it is under homes. Mm. It's flowing towards the southwest, towards the Tullamarine community on the other side of the freeway there. Um, and uh, as you know, we, we did a cancer... We did a community survey of cancer in the area and at the time we finished up finding 144. We're at now 215 cancers. Um, so the health... Con and the community have said, look, you cannot bring back those who've died, you cannot change the health outcomes of those they believe were affected by being exposed to airborne chemicals between 1973 and 1987. So we just want to make sure that no future generation puts up with any unnecessary risk from mm. a hazardous facility and therefore we yeah. want to clean And Helen, it's also, of course, the other end, it's also leaking into the, the, the waterways mm. and um, ultimately well, into the creeks and... Uh, in the Miribarong well, River into the into the bay. I mean, all that. Well, eventually. it used to leak directly into the creek, and when the community Ponds Creek, and when the community complained about it, nobody came out and investigated. But in two thousand and seven, there was a very extensive um, report done, and that showed the salt crystals, the heavy metal salt crystals, in the creek bank where the dump used to leak directly into the creek. Now, if that had been investigated at the time, they'd have had to shut the dump because it was a clear breach of the law. Mm. But that was never investigated. Well, what but anyhow, back to today's scenario, where we're saying we still want that oil extracted and the company and told us, well, we don't want to. We think the microbes will eat the oil and they can have it. And we are... Uh, outrage erupted yet again because that, that just leaves too many things uncertain. These facilities become more hazardous as they age. Now, at the moment, there's... Um, a weak kind of gas extraction system. There's a few pipes at the top that gathers the gases and takes it to one area and burns it off. Mm. Now, that was supposed to burn so that we got a 99.999 destruction rate, which is about as good as you could get. We said, OK, that's good. doesn't perform like that. We're getting a report next week 
Um, so people are, so we're still being exposed to airborne chemicals and they're not particularly good ones. So there's that issue. Then there's the issue of what happens as that infrastructure ages. Remember, this dump is not lined, so it will continue mm. to leak. And worse still, it's in fractured basalt. That means basalt that poured out cooled quickly and is therefore highly cracked. So you mm. can get um, leakage into those little um, cracks and it can build up there. So it goes into the water table? Well, it, we, oh, yeah, it's flow. Well, this is the point. If you take it out now, it, at the moment there's a mound of water at the base of the dump, which they don't want to go because that's the only thing stopping it getting into the water table directly. Mm-hmm. However... The oil on the top of floating on the top of that water, mm-hmm. which is lighter than the water, is dissolving into the groundwater. So it is spreading out, and it will eventually get to waterways mm. and to Port Phillip Bay. It will take quite a while, but it will get there. So, in the meantime, it, it is off-gassing as well, and not all gases in the dump are captured. And it also, they've found that in two bores on the buffer zone, there's vinyl chloride gas coming up there. Now, when the guys go to test, they are, you know, suitably um, fitted out because no, they don't. The workers are not to be exposed to vinyl chloride gas, so they come prepared. But the residents can't walk around like that. Mm. So we think it is morally objectionable and environmentally unsound to leave this oil there and to leave the community with such an anxiety. And we protested loudly and adamantly and passionately to the EPA and Harry Van Moss, the director of the Western Region Environment Centre, wrote a wonderful paper which summed it all up. But Harry, being an academic, can put the argument a lot more um, convincingly than than uh, our moral outrage <laughs> and our right. But, but Helen, Helen, that and- basic... Just got to, at that they send workers in with, with protective gear means they know it's dangerous. Mm. Yet oh, yeah, at the, but who at the cares same about people? I'm going to say at the same time they're not prepared to spend the money needed to clean it up so the community isn't affected by that. They're prepared to send those people in to do tests so that they can then interpret the test to say there's no harm possible. Ah, good. Mm. Yeah, right. Mm. So, and, and Anyhow, back yeah, to the back point. To, back to the net. Yeah, we, we, Harry wrote a paper which he submitted, I mean, Triple T Dag and Friends of Steel Creek submitted a point saying, we are just totally enraged at the fact that the groundwater contamination plume has not been fully established. And we want that done. Harry wrote a paper in which he went through the arguments pointing out that the so-called natural, monitored natural attenuation is not an appropriate thing at this site. And for a start, there's dispute as to whether or not that is um, that is effective because we've also read research papers that show that these microbes get killed off when they come in contact with contaminated oil. They're good on recently spilled oil, no dispute on that, mm-hmm. but this is highly contaminated oil and they're just as likely to be killed. We don't say there's any evidence to show that um, there is evidence that they are, in fact, in the dump and working that way. And, in fact, the irony of this is in 2006, I asked, why aren't you just putting in more microbes to eat the oil? And the cleaner way told us, oh, we can't do that here, it's too contaminated. 
<laughs> so, and of course, none of the people that we spoke to in 2006 yeah, are still you, there. You better, um, yeah, you better clarify this because you talked about Brambles at the start. Now you're talking well, about Brambles, Clean Away. Clean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Clean Away was a private company bought out by Brambles, who was mm-hmm. then sold to KKR, who then sold it to uh, Trans Pacific Industries. Yes, KKR Clean being Away. an equity investment company. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. they got rid of it pretty quickly and sold it back to um, Terry Peabody, who was the owner of Trans Pacific Industries at yep. the time, and they apparently didn't do a proper due diligence mm. on the dump or they wouldn't have bought it. But anyhow, that's just, um, that's the reality is they've bought it, they're now responsible for it, so they have to pay out, shell out the money. Mm. And of course, the real estate side of that company just wants to sell off the land and yeah, of course. That's, that's up for rezoning. But that process is now on halt. Um, it's on a great big pause mm. until the EPA um, has a review of the proposal to leave it to natural uh, natural attenuation. So they are now appointing Stephen Amett from Safe Disposals in the US. He has a pretty good track record, so we're pleased about that. And um, he will review this proposal and he will give us his opinion as to what uh, whether or not it'll work at this site. And uh, we also asked that the terms of reference and scope of it include uh, a clear outline of how these products in the, how these chemicals are going to degrade over time mm. because we've been told they'll be active for over a hundred years and what is the likelihood of methane being produced in that chemical reaction process that's continuing go, continuously mm. going at the dump because if we add methane into this as mm. well and there's already evidence that there there is methane at the dump. Um, then that compounds the problem and therefore would make it even um, more dangerous to put buildings Mm. closer into the dump because we know from the Brooklyn Greens um, fiasco that bringing people within 250 metres of the dump meant that they got Mm. gases in their homes. When we tried to get the company to come onto this program and and, (laughs) uh, give us their point of view... Uh, they did give us a written statement saying they believed that it would would break down naturally, the very point you're making now, which is what they say. But even in saying that, uh, given the timelines involved, they're still really saying, therefore, we'll do nothing and the community has to suffer until that happens, even if we concede it might happen. Um, let's, let's concede that for the sake of argument. Well, so, what's surprising about that? Nothing, nothing, nothing. No, nothing no. surprising about that. Is that acceptable to community? Absolutely not. And the tragedy is, as the older generation is moving out of that area, and mm. they are the ones with the longest exposure, the highest incidence of cancers amongst them, um, and younger families are buying in. Mm. And at each meeting we have... We are now seeing more and more young, you know, women's business, mum in the home. You, you see people who've bought their their houses and they're saying, I don't know what I've bought into mm. here, do I? And, of course, what are the local real estate agents saying? Oh, it's just an old closed landfill. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And, so, and this, this, this bloke who's going to do the American guy who's going to do this uh, re, this research for you, or for the, for the, for the campaign... Um, When's he start and how long is it going to take? Uh, I don't know the deadline. The deadlines because it's only he's only just been appointed. 
um, but we are happy with the terms of reference. We are really pleased that the EPA has listened and taken the community's very deep, serious concerns mm. um, and actually acted in a way that says you have a right to know that you live there and you have a right to feel safe mm. and this will be investigated to ensure that it is a safe proposal and that mm. is the first time we have felt respected by the EPA. Mm. Is it the city of Hume? It is the city of Hume, yeah. and the poor city of Hume is has you know going through growth. Yeah, has high unemployment, great diversity in the community. Mm. It's a vibrant community. It's a lovely, a lovely, lovely community. I've taught in that area mm. as well as been an activist over there for a while, um, and they do their best with their grassland environments to mm. protect that, to protect their heritage. They are flat out on, on uh, you know, they, they need more money than they can get and they need a lot of support. And, of course, where else would you put a do- toxic dump but in an area where yeah. the housing is? Out of um, suburbs. Yeah, but in West Meadows, it has a really lovely village look because mm-hmm. it's sort of a pocket that looks towards the creek. Um, the open space adjacent to the dump, which is the buffer zone, Mm-hmm. has got a heritage-listed noxious weed of um, boxthorn, but because it's still in a hedge form, which is what the um, early colonisers used oh, okay, yep. for their hedges and things. Yep. Um, and the creeks around the west uh, have been extremely important for um, Aboriginal clans and uh, would have been a Wurrung clan over there, I think. But anyhow, it's certainly part of Wurundjeri and the Kulin Nation. And there's plenty of evidence along all our creeks of um, of their occupation. So, you know, and all of our creeks in the West have poor water quality. Mm. And because of the amount of development and greater stormwater runoff, our creeks are getting worse instead of better in terms of water quality. Mm. And Vic Roads will do nothing to... Um, sit back and say, well, we need to start treating our stormwater before it gets into the creeks. Mm. And they employed a person to write their stormwater policy and we had some input into that. And then he rang up to say he was leaving. Oh, okay. I said, well, what were your key recommendations? And he said, oh, that in the first instance where pipes go directly into the creek, that these may be ameliorated a bit and that litter traps be put on. I mean, there is not one freeway in Victoria that has litter traps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, this means we're getting more and more plastic pollution in the waterway, breaking down in the water column. Mm-hmm. So we have that issue as well. And Vic Roads is totally indifferent to their responsibility on stormwater because there's just silence now. They've mm-hmm. written a policy and I would surmise from the silence that they don't like the cost involved. Mm. Well, I, would have, I think uh, obviously storm runoff uh, joins air pollution and noise pollution in terms of how Vic Roads ad- addresses them. Well, they're not good on noise pollution either, especially no. if you've got no. an old freeway. Do you know they recently said to us, again, that on the western side of Melbourne you can have 66 um, dBA noise before we'll give you a noise wall? Mm. Anyhow, I think they have now, in terms of the outrage from the community at Airport West, decided that they will now bring that back to 63. So they're quite prepared to discriminate. Which is still very loud, by the way. I mean, the, the, oh, the World loud, Health Organisation standard is 50. And it's... 50, and it, yeah. yeah. And it's and 45 um, at night. Yeah, mm. and it... 
and it um, it increases in, in you know it just keeps doubling up as you increase. So it's um, sixty sixty. The, 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 all the standards set by the, by the by Vic Roads are way above what people should have to live with. Mm. Well, on top of that, Hume also has Melbourne Airport. Yeah, which along with the freeway is a source of PM ten and PM two point five um, part particulates, right? Which are not good for your health. So. When there was this wonderful campaign led by Environmental Justice Australia and other groups around Australia, in Victoria and around Australia on trying to get clean air and getting regulation, and what happened? The New South Wales Environment Minister arced up, and so we got the poorest, the lowest standard possible, so we haven't got proper mm. regulation of that either. Yeah. So there in the city of Hume, you have air quality impacts from the airport, the freeway, and the toxic dump. Mm. And a lot of the vehicles out in that part of the world are, are diesel, and they're, of course, the most dangerous carcinogens of all with the mm. very small particulates. So um, you're getting yeah, the worst, the 2. worst of the worst. Yeah, yeah. They go yeah. straight into your bloodstream. Exactly, the worst of the worst. Um, yeah. So why on earth should a community that has multiple hazards inflicted on it, and remember... The freeway, airport and toxic dump were all done at a time when there was no administrative tribunal or VCAT. So there was no appeal rights. Melbourne Water was the planning of... Melbourne uh, Metropolitan Board of Works was the planning authority. So no democracy <coughs> inflict all the plain in one community, on one community. Mm. Now, who gets the benefit? They say, oh, well, you get a couple of thousand jobs out of that. Does that couple of thousand jobs equate with the premature a the premature deaths caused from the air pollution and who would volunteer to agree to that anyhow no one so it is an environmental it, it's just a straight out injustice i don't care whether you want to call it environmental or social it is unjust it's it's just wrong to treat one community as the bearer of multiple pollution sources yeah. and besides that that pollution has Changes can change the genetics of people, and that will therefore be carried on in generations. Mm. So, yep. where oh, where is the morality here that allows one community to be so polluted and have their health so compromised? Mm. Mm. This goes close to what you've been talking about. I, I did want to read to you, and it's a bit long, but I'll read about the first six parts or so of an article this week by Richard Dennis from the Australia Institute. Um, and it, he talks about mines, but you could talk about toxic waste dumps as well. He says, back in the 80s and 90s, most conservative politicians and business people were obsessed with expanding the user-pays principle to all areas of government service. But these days, you can barely find a Liberal MP who supports companies cleaning up their own mess. Last week, the Queensland government announced, announced new laws to prevent the mining and minerals processing industries from leaving the taxpayers to pick up the tab for cleaning up the toxic mess left by failed mines or processing plants such as Clive Palmer's nickel refinery. Once upon a time, the economic rationalists would have cheered the Queensland government's approach to user pays. Once upon a time, the economic rationalists would have demanded such measures to ensure that there was a level playing field between industries that did make provision to clean up their mess and those that didn't. But those times have passed, ironically, 
The faith that economic rationalists placed in self-interest has led us to a public debate dominated by those who are paid to promote the interests of individual companies or industries. According to the Queensland mining industry, the idea of protecting taxpayers from the failure of firms to manage their own affairs was, quote, unprecedented. The mining industry has a long, if not proud, history of walking away from old mine sites without either filling in their holes or cleaning up their sites. The estimated 50,000 abandoned mines dotted across our continent impose costs on the taxpayer as enormous as the holes the miners leave behind. With all the alleged concern about the need to cut public spending and protect future generations from unfunded liabilities, anyone remember the intergenerational report, you would expect that the economic rationalists would be on the warpath about the taxpayer subsidy implicit in the willingness of government to clean up the miners' mess. You might even expect that the NSW and West Australian governments would be under pressure to protect their taxpayers in the same way that Minister Stephen Miles has in Queensland, but don't hold your breath. I'll just read it down to there, but um, comment on that. Seems to yeah, cover the same well, area. But this is one of the reasons the West has so many landfills in so many quarry holes, because they were just left by the mining mm. companies and they were not rehabilitated. Out at um, High Point West, the quarry eventually became a shopping centre, and in Nidri we've got what I call Box Hill. It's just covered in concrete boxes around a beautiful piece of geology that's... Um, not really appreciated, and a stinking, smelly lake that they didn't do properly. They didn't mm. adhere to the Melbourne Water Advice and did it their own way, made it too shallow. Mm. But anyhow, that, that's just typical of the mining company. Mm. They're there to um, just exploit and then clear out. There's no social responsibility in those companies that I can see evidence of. And Philip Adams was doing a program one night and he said he could only think of one mine site and after all he lives near coal mining mm-hmm. um, he can only think of one mining site in Australia where they cleaned up and I think it might have been Barrow Island off mm. Western Australia um, you no, know, no, no, it wouldn't Barrow Island's the one where Chevron is now doing the gas stuff so that's 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 being destroyed at the moment yeah, well, yeah, but anyhow, I mean, well, that's what mining companies do <coughs> they just destroy the planet um, for their own greed and exactly. mines don't necessarily make good landfill. I mean, some people might think, oh, there's a hole in the ground and there's something that needs to be put in a hole. That's perfect. But mines are often geologically unstable, isn't that right? Uh, I wouldn't speak on that other than to say that cracked basalt's no place for a quarry, is no place yeah. for a landfill because <laughs> fractured basalt is the worst place <laughs> to put a leaking landfill. And <laughs> Tullamarine will probably get worse as it gets <laughs> older. I'm thinking of um, the park in Northcote, um, All Nations Park. That used Don't to be a rubbish tip. Well, it'd be, it would have been a putricipal one, but in those mm. days everybody threw mm. batteries and everything into them. Yeah. So yeah. There's no such thing as a landfill that doesn't give off contaminated groundwater. And yeah. they all leak. Mm. And look, we've known that since 1988. There was a Senate investigation into landfills and the US EPA mm. went and did a study... Of, I can't remember if it was um, a couple of hundred or... Well, whatever it was, they went and had a look at a great number of landfills and they picked ones that they thought would be sure to be leaking and ones that they were sure were not leaking and they were all leaking. They were okay. all leaking more than was proven. So the conclusion was all landfills leak because even if you do line them, which Tullamarine wasn't, mm. or if you put it into sand like they did at Brooklyn, it'll leak laterally, they will leak inevitably. Yeah. So it is a useless way of treating waste and we need to bring landfilling down to the barest minimum, which means we have to get much smarter at how we handle our waste. Or, 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 or created, of course, or yes, not created. Exactly. Well, 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 the first principle is 
um, clean production so you don't produce hazardous waste. And the second principle is reduce your consumerism. Well, that's about as popular as arsenic, isn't it, <laughs> in an affluent society? People don't like the notion of reduction. And you have to be able to reuse. And there are a lot of companies, there are a number of companies in Australia who would like to do energy, uh, waste to energy facilities. But because landfilling is still so cheap, um, it is cheaper to throw it in a hole. And because the West is an old quarry, it's full of old quarry holes, you know, and Trans-Pacific has bought um, Borrell out in Deer Park. So that is going to become a gigantic hub, as is the one at Willert in, the, in Hume, of course, and as is the one in um, Deer Park and Werribee. So these are going to be... And we're going to have waste being transported from the other side of Melbourne to these three hubs in the west and northwest, and they're supposed to be going to have composting facilities. Now... Victorians for Smarter Waste Management have said quite categorically the place for those hubs is outside the urban growth area, away from residences, because you cannot completely contain the smell. Mm. The other thing is those composting facilities must have unloading undercover and the composting must be done undercover, not out in the fresh air. Now, we can't... I mean, and our coalition is made up of, I think... 15 community groups, all of whom are suffering because of the ordinary putricipal landfills, right? The stench is nauseating. The traffic that generates is, you know, brings in fumes and noise and causes um, further congestion and local and, and mm. further intensifies local congestion. Mm. And this is to be the fate of the... In, in the one in Deer Park... The smell can carry for up to five kilometres, mm. five k's of impact. Yeah, and Willert is, um, I think, planned for development in the future. Yeah, it is. That yeah, it is. And that, that will be, Tragyburn will get the benefit of that. Mm. So, and then you've got the Werribee one, which is already stinking to high heavens. And, you know, down there, the community had just campaigned to get the sewerage farm not smelling. And now they've brought this... Um, They've brought the landfill above the ground level and you have a mountain of waste there mm. and they've got permission to have, in spite of the fact that there were several hundred people at the meeting and clearly said to the EPA, we do not want this above ground facility here, mm. uh, the EPA licensed another two cells and now there is talk that uh, the um, council owned owns that one because that was originally to be a toxic dump and the Werribee people prevented that and then the council bought the hole and said, well, we'll just use it for landfilling. Well, of course, now this current council is um, hell-bent on making money from without realising what the aftercare costs are going mm. to be and now they want to get a permit for putting up another eight and they want a works approval. Uh, they're considering going for an, a, a works approval that'll cover the next 10 years in mm. one go. How can you even consider mm. that? Yeah, it's... And, I mean, we will have... When you're driving down the freeway now and you get west of Werribee, you used to be able to look directly at the Uyanks. Now you've got a mountain of waste in front of you and that's going to be triplicated. Mm. So, I mean, we... And, and around the world, people have given up going, putting stuff in landfills, but we can't do it here because there's just too many convenient holes so we can afford to be lazy. And that means that they don't understand the great value of groundwater and keeping it clean. Well, the issue of recycling actually also comes down to um, workers' rights because 
you know, a lot of the reason that instead of reusing a piece of metal, we throw it away and then mine a new piece of metal is because, you know, wages in Australia are much higher than wages um, overseas. And so it's, there's like a an inefficiency intrinsically built into capitalism. So I wouldn't even say that, you know, the problem is too much consumerism. It's the problem is is that the the system has these inefficiencies built in and and you know as a result uh it's it's cheaper to make a new thing than repair an old mm. thing or to recycle an old thing well i wouldn't disagree with that but there there is a serious amount of metal that is um captured through the recycling programs and reused but i mean even when you put things into your recycling bin now because they've got the recycling triangle on them it doesn't mean to say there's a facility anywhere in australia where you can do that uh where where that can be treated some of it has to get shipped to china and there's another footprint on the earth from Mm. from transportation because Mm. it's going to china to be reconverted into plastic bottles and etc and there is a wonderful facility down in um, the southeast, oh my glory, I've forgotten its name. We went and visited it last year to see the products that they make. But because they haven't got a big market, they can only use so much of the uh, plastic that they um, make. And they make bollards. Um, they're used for um, tracks in wetlands. Um, they can make um, playground furniture. Oh, yeah, the outdoor plastic furniture. Furniture, um, yeah. 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 yeah, but I mean, there's a whole lot of things that can be done and are done elsewhere, but not done here. And we just need to get smarter about this. I mean, if we want to be nimble on our feet, there's one great area where we could start. Yeah, Helen, yeah. before we finish, we've only got a couple of minutes left, but we I just want to touch on the Essendon Airport issue, another one you've been involved <laughs> in. Um, I believe there's been some more developments there as well, or not such, dusty, not such good. Yeah. Dusty, 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 dusty Essendon Airport is going through a big expansion program, building a, um, a hotel and building more hangars so that they can put all the hangars down in one area where all the noise will be concentrated in a couple of parts of Strathmore and Airport West, and then they'll have more land free for development. Well, when a company's doing a big building, a construction management plan is made and the local council enforces it because this is a piece of a Commonwealth colony in the heart of the middle uh, city of Melbourne. And the dust can blow out onto the Strathmore residents there and cover their cars in dust. They can go to bed at night and have a clean car and come, you know, come out the next day and you'll find you've got dust all over it. Um, they're not wetting it down properly. And yet that place has got so much recycled water it doesn't know what to do with it, but they don't seem to be able to spend it on keeping the dust suppressed over there. There have been articles in the local paper. The council's taken it up. We've complained, but there doesn't seem to have been any improvement. And, but they have sent out a letter saying, ring us if you've got a problem. Give Lindsay Fox a call. Well, I actually wrote to the board of Essendon Airport complaining about the misrepresentation of their employees to the local community. I didn't even get a response to my letters. Mm. But if it is actually run by a private consortium that includes Lindsay Fox, but then the government says, but it's Commonwealth land, therefore the local council has no control over it, whatever, uh, there's some sort of contradiction there, speaking of contradictions, as Corey was a little while ago. Exactly. You know, some people are allowed to break break the law and some people uh, are there to enforce it but only enforce it on some. Mm. 
Well, that's going to be about it for uh, this <laughs> week's <laughs> program. <laughs> yeah. That's it. <laughs> Doesn't time fly when you're talking, Helen? <laughs> I need another cup of coffee. <laughs> Produced by a multinational company, probably the bean. Well, no, I buy ethical beans, so it's okay. Good. Okay. Have a good evening, right. everybody. Okay, look, Helen, thanks so much for your time. And we'll, we'll follow up, of course, and see what happens with this American bloke who's doing this yeah. study. Never give yeah. up hope no. is our okay. motto, and never mm. give up. Mm. <laughs> no, well, you, never, you, you never do. Okay, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for coming Bye on the show. Bye. <laughs> Helen Vandenberg, there, who's I think regular listeners know that she can. She um, well, one, she we said she can talk a lot, but when she talks a lot of sense, I mean, she doesn't just rave on. She when she talks, she talks sense, yeah, which yeah, is uh, no. bloody good. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which uh, some people might think on this program is a rarity, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's that. You want to sign off, don't you, Corey? Sure. (laughs) Um, So you've been listening to City Limits with uh, Kevin, Emma and Corey. And what are we going to have on the show next week? Well, we're hoping to have an art, maybe a story about, well, you can tell us actually. Oh, well, um, I know someone who's doing their master's in public art and Mm -hmm. they're um, currently working out in the city of Whittlesea and I think they are... um, developing a skate park for young people cool um and they're decorating it with a lot of art um but yeah she's also studying um public art so mm. i thought it would be great to yeah. have a chat with her um sounds good yeah and, and, we, and well we'll see anyway but that's that's one definite possibility for a fifth wednesday and we may even we mentioned last week we might get john passant back at some point and uh uh, maybe next week we could have a yarn about taxis, particularly at the moment because it's mm. right in the news, of course, all mm. this stuff. But uh, anyway, we haven't even mentioned the fact there might be an election, but then mm. I suppose we have in a way and we've given it all the coverage it really deserves. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so the time's 9.57. Yeah. Oh, look, thank Corey, by the way. Thanks, Corey. Nice to have you back all right. this week. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> um, thank you. Uh, time's now 9.58, and we're going to go out with a track. This is Old Man Island by Glenn Scoothall. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia, on the Kulin Nation. For more information and to find out how you can support 3CR, go to www.3cr.org.au.